Iconic makeup artist. Beauty industry revolutionary. Entrepreneur. Bobby Brown is all these things and so much more. Throughout her career, she has crossed paths with some of the most accomplished people at the top of their field. These conversations are a look into their inspiring lives because everyone has a story. This is Long Story Short with Bobby Brown. Today, my guest on the podcast is Joanna Cole. She was the very first content officer at Hearst, done everything from editor-in-chiefs of Marie Claire, Cosmopolitan. Before that, a brilliant journalist. The first time I met her, it was definitely an industry party. We instantly got on, and we've been friends ever since. And now I'm really lucky because we've become better friends. We have summer homes near each other, so we get to hang out in our sneakers and shorts uh, in Sag Harbor. One of the things I love most about Joanna Cole is when you hear the term badass, she is a true badass. She is brilliant. She is smart. She is also happily married to incredible uh, boys. And just combining everything she is with her great style and her incredible accent and her very funny personality, I love talking to Joanna Coles. Here's my conversation with Joanna Coles. You smell really good. What are you wearing? Is it a fra- is your own fragrance? No, I don't it's, think it's, it's this. this. It's sort of salty. Peppermint. Peppermint. No, that's not, not it. It's like a salty smell. Hmm. Okay. Hi, Joanna. Hi, Bobby. So I am here with, um, I'm going to embarrass myself for a minute, my girl crush, Joanna Coles, who actually, when I was at Yahoo Beauty, I did write an article on my girl crush, Joanna Coles, because I just think you're one of the coolest women I've ever met. Well, that's thrilling to hear. Thank for, you. Besides, you're so beautiful and attractive and cool. And look at your outfit. Like, you just, you're brilliant. You're smart. You have this great husband, great marriage, two kids, the career of anyone's dreams. You've reinvented yourself and you're going to continue to do so. So, Joanna Cole, who are you really? Very good question. <laughs> I have, uh, you know, one finds out who one is every day. And first of all, thank you for that glorious introduction. I shall replay it constantly <laughs> at night as a mantra uh, to help me sleep. Um, and then it'll be on when I wake up in the morning still. Um, well, where are you from, first of all? Start when you were a little kid. Where are you from? I grew up in Yorkshire, which is about 200 miles north of London in the UK. And I think of it as the Texas of Great Britain because it's a wild place with very opinionated people who believe that they really should secede and be their own country. Ah, And what did your parents do? My mother was a social worker, worked in a hospital, and my father was an English teacher. Okay. And brothers and sisters? One younger sister who has her own marketing company and lives not far from my parents. And then when did you like break out of the town and the life? Well, I knew I always wanted to leave Yorkshire because much as I love it, and it's this very moody, brooding place. And they have a lot of pudding? Uh, is that where Yorkshire well, pudding what is from? Well, that's popovers are. Yes, okay. popovers. But in Yorkshire, they're much softer than a popover uh-huh. and they're delicious and you can have them savory or sweet. Um, so by the time I'd had my fill of Yorkshire puddings, I was ready to leave. It's it's the Bronte country. It's where Heathcliff ran across the moors or actually Cathy ran across, across the moors shouting Heathcliff. And it's where huh. Ted Hughes came from, who Sylvia Plath was married to. And it's this really dark, brooding, rainy, See, I want to talk like she talks. <laughs> place. Um, well, you don't because nobody I can don't, understand I don't. Me. <laughs> I could. Um, yes. 
Anyway, I, I left when I, I spent a year in Paris after my high school. Then I went to college. Then I moved as fast as I could to London, which was fabulous. And what was your first job? My first job was as a graduate. Well, my first job going back to when I was sort of 12, 13, was actually selling magazines in a news agent. And uh, I worked in the center of Leeds in Leeds bus station, actually. It was very busy and you had to do an enormous amount of mental arithmetic because people would come in with all sorts of candies and magazines and newspapers. Remember those? And um, <laughs> actually, it was enormous fun because you were constantly dealing with people and their demands. But could we go back there for one second and you're standing there amongst all these magazines and could you ever have imagined that one day you will be the greatest editor-in-chief and above in your future life as a kid selling these magazines? Well, it's interesting you ask that because no, and yet I do think when people are thinking about what they want to do next, or if they're at a moment in their life when they feel stuck or trapped in their jobs, which I know a lot of people do, and for anybody listening, I think your childhood can hold clues as to your actual passion. So when I look back at mine, I used to do two things relentlessly, make dolls clothes. Okay. I had a series of trolls huh. and dolls, and I made them all sorts of clothes. And I produced a magazine with my best friend that we would deliver to our neighbours. And we sent a copy to the Queen of England, whose maid-in-waiting sent us a letter back Aww. saying Her Majesty <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed reading it and was looking forward to future issues. Do you have that letter still? I do have oh, the letter. Of course I awesome. have the letter. Uh, and actually, I should frame the letter, but I do have the letter still. And um, so, yes, I knew I wanted to work in magazine slash journalism. Did I expect to run a magazine empire in New York? No, but the seeds were there. And when did you come to America? I moved to America 21 years ago and I came initially as the Guardian correspondent. And then after a year, I moved to the Times of London as their correspondent. And I still think it was one of the most fabulous jobs ever. You got to travel around America writing about whatever you wanted, mm. which still to me seems like an extraordinary luxury. With a budget for travel, you could stay where you wanted? Well, no. I mean, I would stay in Motel 6s, but it didn't really matter because America is such an interesting country. And there are so many interesting Was. stories. <laughs> no, no, it still is. You know, the... the the story of America right now is incredibly interesting. The division in the culture, is it really as big as we think? The difference between rural and urban communities, the glory of the American landscape. It's such an exciting, romantic country. And I'm still, despite its current issues, so in love with America. It's my big love story. And when did you meet your husband? Was he in America or was it? I met my husband in London um, in a long, long time back, 1990. So, and then we moved here together um, seven years after we met. Okay. And so from your journalist you know, career, when did you go into the women's magazine? Was Marie Claire your first? Ma uh, I moved into magazines when I had my second son and it became clear I couldn't travel at will around America. And it had never dawned on me, and this, this will seem crazy because Bobby, you've got three boys. It never dawned on me until I had children that actually sometimes you can't always do the job you want with the kids if you want to see them. Right. And I suddenly realized, oh, I'm not going to be able to travel at the drop of a hat if there's a big story. I can't just go and grab my overnight bag and fly off. 
Um, so I moved into magazines because I wanted more control over my schedule. And I thought, well, I'll have a desk job. And for the first two years, I found it really hard. I hated being trapped in an office. And then I got used to it. And well, then what was your first job? My first job was actually at New York Magazine. Okay. And it was, um, I started the week before 9-11. So in fact, it was an incredibly interesting time to be at New York, in New York at that time. But I just hated being trapped in an office editing other people's content. And it was really only when I got to be editor-in-chief of Marie Claire, I got to see the advantages of being able to run something and be in charge. And then it turned out I loved that. And that's when you learned business. Yeah, I really learned the uh, how content gets funded um, and thought much more holistically about what women's media is and what it was evolving into as really social media was beginning to take off. And as Mary, Marie Claire is the smart woman's magazine with like amazing stories and it really bridges the fashion and beauty with news stories. Yeah, and we had great stories about, you know, the first woman police chief in Afghanistan. We had amazing stories about... Uh, women, matriarchal cultures where women married women because they didn't trust the men. I mean, crazy stories mm. going on in developing countries and in other countries. There was an extraordinary story we did in Russia about a school that taught Russian women how to find rich guys to marry. I mean, just bizarro things that you couldn't imagine existing anywhere, um, anywhere else, really. And then your next leap was Cosmo? My so I did Marie Claire for six years, had an absolute blast. And it was fascinating because it also had a French owner. So you had an American owner and a French owner. So two bosses, mm. um, two different languages, very different aesthetics. So you were constantly juggling those two voices in your head. A wonderful team uh, that was really exciting, fabulous to pick a team that you want to work with and then watch them blossom. And then after six years, I went to edit Cosmo, which was the most extraordinary gift. You know, you think of the great editor of the 20th century, Helen Gurley Brown. And when she took over at Cosmo, she was right in the middle of the sex, sexual revolution. The Did you pill. ever meet her? I met her. I met her once. She took me for lunch when I Aww. joined Marie Claire. Amazing woman, very frail and thin at that point. Uh, and I ordered a burger and she told me I could have the burger or the bun, but I couldn't have both. <laughs> uh, but I did have both. Uh. But I think I only ate half of it because I was slightly intimidated. And she was notoriously thin and nibbled at a bit of quinoa. Wow. Yeah. Wow. She was quite a lady. I, I knew her pretty well. You know, very interesting lady. Go on. Well, my favorite story is we went to some, you know, fancy dinner, probably a lauder dinner, and she was there, and she was wearing a very off-the-shoulder outfit, and she was in her older age, and she was sitting next to my husband, and the shirt kept going down and down and down as she's talking to my husband, who at the time was probably 35, you know, maybe 40 years old, and it was really funny, but I noticed she had lipstick on her teeth. So I went over to her and I said, excuse me, you have lipstick on your teeth. And she goes, oh, thank you so much for telling me. Like she hugged me. No one would ever do it. She wiped it off. I went back to the table. I looked over. She got lipstick on her teeth again. I walked <gasps> back over. I said, I am so sorry. Here is a mirror. And then she said to me, I don't know what's wrong. I said, what lipstick are you wearing? And she said, I'm wearing Estee Lauder. And I said, well, can I just send you mine tomorrow? And I didn't. I don't know. I think she, she never it. got lipstick on her teeth She again. never did. She never did. But she said no one has ever told her those things. 
But I, I always made sure I told people if they had things in their teeth or in their nose. Do I, how's my you lipstick? Don't. Do you don't. You look I don't have it unbelievable. Teeth. Good. Yes, I would tell you. Good. Unbelievable. Well, she was a, a, a she was an extraordinary woman who really changed how women thought about, I think, what they looked like and about sex in the 60s and 70s. So, Joanna, one thing I just want you to explain to me. So you went from Marie Claire, which is basically a journalistic fashion magazine, to Cosmo, which is all about, you know, things that we don't all talk about. So what was that like, that transition? Well, listen, what could be more exciting than taking on the world's biggest female media brand? Couldn't have been more exciting. 65 issues or 65 editions across the world. And it was really the beginning of what I like to think of as the reawakening of feminism. We hired Sheryl Sandberg as our careers editor. Lean In had just come out. We did the first excerpt of it, 24 pages, which was a book that if you liked it or you hated it, you had something to say as a woman about it. And we realized that there was this entire generation of young millennial and Gen Z women who wanted to talk about work and equality in the workplace, and they wanted a place to do it. And so we were able to give them that space. We were doubling down on our digital exposure, digital media, and it was just a really wonderful time. And I thought of it, uh, and I didn't coin this term, actually, my deputy at Marie Claire coined the term feminism by stealth. Mm -hmm. So you didn't want to feel that you were hitting people over the head with it, but you were putting in messages that you knew women would respond to. And as regards what you were referring to, Cosmo has always been a magazine about women having women feeling sexually empowered and having sex for themselves as well as for men and enjoying themselves and trying to achieve the elusive female orgasm and it felt like why can't you try and have a great healthy sex life which is fun for everybody and guess what it's free and it's good for you and it's very good for you much better than Ambien and I mean to get you to sleep yeah. and um, and enjoy earning your own money too and make sure that you were getting the equal opportunities that men in the next cubicle were getting and then when you were when you were at Cosmo didn't you put together a partnership with Snapchat for Cosmo yes. or is that not just a personal? Yeah, no, we put together a, a partnership. I was lucky enough to meet Evan Spiegel, uh, one of the co-founders of, uh, of Snap, and they were building out a media platform and Cosmo became the first female brand on it, which was really exciting. And, you know, it was just another way of reinvigorating Cosmo and taking it to a new generation who weren't necessarily going to walk past a newsstand and pick up the print version, but wanted to engage with the conversation on their cell phones. And how long ago was that? That was, I want to say, three years ago, four okay. years so, ago and now. Been it's been going a long time. And you were on the board the whole time? I joined the board in December 2015, okay. so three years I've been on the board. Okay. And then after Cosmo, you just started walking up or being or running up that ladder. Well, after Cosmo, I took on uh, a new role that they created for me, Chief Content Officer, which really involved the 300 titles that Hearst had globally, the, the majority of which were women's titles or lifestyle titles, which was so much fun. And it was your idea to do the TV show? 
It was. We did so Cosmo and we did the bold type out of what we thought of in our heads as Cosmo Studios. I mean, uh, the bold type was produced by uh, Freeform and still is. We're just about to go into season four, shooting season so four. So you're still doing that show? Yep. Even though you're not working show. for the company? Well, I'm an executive producer of okay. the show and it was really, um, it originally came out of my stories and diaries and anecdotes from working in journalism. And we also did another show with the E! Network called So Cosmo, which right. was actually a reality show based in the office with real So that real can't staff. still be going on. No, that's, that's, right. that lasted that was a season. And yeah. that was you. That was, that was me and the team. And in fact, the first day of shooting was the first day I had moved into corporate life. So the timing of it didn't really work. But the bold type has just taken off, actually. It's really exciting. So would you consider the other show not a success? Was that one of the... Did you have to deal with the failure or is just something you tried and you blew it and you went on? Well, no, it was just the timing didn't work because it was supposed to be about life at Cosmo, right. but I was no longer at Cosmo. Gotcha. So it had been, you know, we pitched it as me and the team. And in fact, the team ended up dividing and it wasn't the initial concept anymore. So it was really a victim of bad timing. We did 10 episodes and it was super fun to make, um, but I had left the magazine. What's your what's your leadership style? What would you think people that worked for you would say about you? Uh, well, I'd hope they would say I was clear. I think clarity is incredibly important when you're a leader because if you don't know what you're doing, nothing good comes from that. Uh, I hope I'm inclusive. I'm very non-hierarchical. I think a good idea comes from wherever. And what you want is people who can do the things that you can't do. So I'm acutely aware of my weaknesses. Tell me what one of them are, because I cannot fathom to think they exist. I love coming here and talking to you. I want to come every day. <laughs> yeah. um, I have many weaknesses, one of which is I get bored quite easily. I've got terrible it's not a ADD. Weakness. It's, it can it's, be a it's weakness. Not. How could you be a journalist and an editor and have ADD? Because I have, I have self-diagnosed ADD and OCD, which is I'm either lining things up or smashing them down, like in the same hour. Interesting. But, oh, what are you lining up? Oh, I, everything in my refrigerator. Oh, I used to go crazy about my displays. It had to have the same round holes all lined up. Oh, I like every. I like order, but right. then I have new ideas and I mess everything up. So that's my own internal battle. I have to always tell myself to chill. But it's one of the great things about the designs of Bobby Brown cosmetics, certainly when you were doing them, that you would get those wonderful boxes of the minis, which were the ones I absolutely love because you didn't have to overcommit to one color right. and you would get 10 in a box. Because, which I, were because I also realized that women are on the go and they want to throw it in their bag and they weren't just colors that were sitting around, they were curated that actually work. Right. That's the big difference. But I go forward, not backwards, as do you. So you left the company. Yep. When was that? How many months I ago? I left in the summer. In the summer, you left kind of coming out of the office in a treadmill desk. I Well, I made my announcement that I was <laughs> yes. leaving on my treadmill desk because I had done lots of posts from it. And I had become a devotee of the Lifespan Fitness treadmill desk, uh, which I love. And they'd, in fact created one for me. I had the first standard model and then I ran into them at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas after I'd been posting and they called me over and they said, oh, give us some feedback. And I, when people say they want feedback, yeah. I cannot stop myself. Of course. Um, so I said, well, I want a wooden top and I want a cup holder and I want somewhere to put my huh. lipstick. And so they created one for me. And then, of course, the biggest thing, the biggest difference between men and women on a treadmill desk is women's shoes vary in height. 
Mm. Uh, and so they made one that went up and down electronically for me. And then the minute I started posting about it, uh, because I was so excited, they immediately started getting orders. So it's now the deluxe wow. lifespan fitness. And how did you get it to the beach? Ah, <laughs> oh, well, after I announced I was leaving on it, I then had a little break and then I thought I need the treadmill desk out in Sag Harbor where you and I right. both yes. uh, spent the summer. And uh, so I had two guys come around with a van and we took it all over Sag Harbor and had real fun. So I was on a tennis court on the treadmill desk. I was on the beach. I was in a restaurant. I was by my swimming pool. To, just to have fun. I hope you were a paid influencer because it's quite the press because I would like to get one now. Do you know, I was not. And I wasn't yeah. partly because I still think of myself as a journalist. Right. And so... Those days are over. You could be anything you want now. You could be a journalist. You could be anything. You could be an influencer journalist. Well, that's true. Well, in that case, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna back invoicing. Yeah. Oh, I should have had you running my business. Well, you I'm know, talk when, to you about when, that. okay, good. Well, actually, when I saw in the New York Post, because I hate to admit that I do read the New York Post every we morning. We all read the New York okay, Post. Good. I, I, and I take screenshots. How many screenshots do I have, Michelle? Over a thousand. Over a thousand screenshots, things that I want to pay attention to later. I screenshotted that there was a rumor you were leaving. And so I emailed you that second from my bedroom in Sag Harbor saying, can I talk to you? I want you to be the president of my new company. Did I not do that? You did. And you were the first person I met. I think I left on the Friday and then I met you for brunch on the Saturday. Yes, with your with your boys running around the house just the way I like it. You know, well, cause... I don't know if they were running or oh, they were sleeping. Yeah. yeah, I think to no, be fair, they right. were sleeping. Yeah, yeah. So you I think know, they and... emerged out of their rooms at about three o'clock. We were meeting at eleven. Right. I think we finished talking at three, and the boys poked their right. heads out of the bedroom. And I realized talking to you how brilliant it would be for me to have you run my new empire. But I also realized there's no way because you have so much to do for Joanna Cole, the brand, the person, the brand, whatever you decide to do is going to be something and everyone's going to know your name and I'm not sure what it is. And I'm just really excited for you. And I want to hear what has been happening since we had that chat. Well, it, thank you for asking. And I have embarked on a more entrepreneurial journey, which I had often thought about doing. And I had spent some time uh, really reconciling myself to the fact that corporate life in the way that it was evolving um, was not the perfect fit for me. I mean, I love magazines, I love content, but I was ready to do something new. And I'd been fortunate enough to serve on the board of directors of Snapchat or Snap Inc. as it is now. And that had given me insight into different ways of working. And I knew that I wanted to think about either setting up my own thing or working in a more, um, in a way that had many more different elements to it. I didn't just want to have one gig anymore. So that's really what I've embarked on. I've been talking to an extraordinary array of people. Each conversation leads to something yeah. else. And I'm working on a ton of really interesting things, um, three or four of which I think will evolve into something quite exciting. And I'm also doing a really interesting advisory um, at CBS News, which is incredibly yeah, interesting. That. Yeah, well, news is in such an interesting place at the moment. And how we think of news against the sort of extraordinarily frenzied environment of social media and the sort of smoke that comes out of the White House 
is really, really interesting. And CBS post Les Moonves is an incredibly interesting environment. They've got new opportunity to rebuild the way they think about management. And so being part of that mm. journey has been Very super cool. exciting. So do you think you piss people off ever? Oh, I'm sure I piss people off all the time. I'm sure there are people listening right now going, I can't <laughs> believe Bobby Brown's got Joanna Coles on. So, so what do you do when people piss you off? Well, I try not to mind. Do you try? Well, it's funny. Um, I don't try to piss people off, but I just do. Like, I don't try well, how to. How on earth do you piss people off? You've created the perfect face for them. Um, I don't uh, piss I off like those people. I piss Bobby off Brown, other people. Me, but better. Me, but better. Yes, that that journey and that part. But to get to that journey, to make sure that I have ev that I had everything as I wanted it, was not an easy journey. There was not like you know paved roads that said, "Go ahead, Bobby, walk down this road, do whatever you want." I had to fight for every single thing that I that I did. What was the biggest fight you remember? Oh, there's so many, and I don't want to talk about them now. I will tell you over a martini. There were so many fights, you know. There was for for the last couple of years when I was there. Right. You know, I just I just had other ideas, and that's why you know I I honestly don't dwell on it. I am, after I left the brand, I had enough time that I kind of let go of any of any negative emotions because it doesn't suit me, and I just really now think about all the the glory years, which were, you know, 80% of the time there were glory years. And I got to do things and meet people and see things and experience life. And I remember that. And I'm funny, I'm very, very in touch and close to all the people that worked for me during that time. They're no longer with the company either. But now we could talk about the glory days because it was, it was magical. So, and, you know, I'm such an optimist, as I know you are, and I'm ex I know there's going to be other things happening that'll fall in my lap that I'll be like, well, that sounds cool. Well, I know you're working on really interesting things. I, I am, and I'm sure I don't even know what else I'm going to be working on. I mean, this podcast, I had to interview Poppy Harlow and Rebecca Jarvis, two top-notch journalists. I was like, I was very nervous. But then I realized I don't have to be a journalist. I just have to be myself right, and, have have the, be Bobby and have the combinations. So, you know, that's kind of that's kind of it. So what 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 is the what do you think or who do you think has been the number one thing in your life that has made you Joanna Coles? Like, is there someone from your childhood or someone, a teacher, a relative? Well, I think over the years, lots and lots of different people. I think having children makes you think completely differently about your role in the world, the impact you would like to have the values that you instill in them, the fact that often when you make mistakes with them, it's too late to pull them back. Um, and then I think about all the people that have supported me, either from above and given me extraordinary opportunities, um, who've created things around me for my strengths, which I really appreciate, especially the last job I had as chief content officer was a fantastic uh, job. Um, and also the young women that I met on the way, especially when I started at, at Marie Claire and then at Cosmo, who just gave their all to joint projects that we were working on. And they were excited to be given responsibility, but they more than excelled my expectations and I think their own. So, you know, from above and below, you get this tremendous, when it's all working well, you get this great harmonic effect where you create something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. And that's what's fun to do. And on a personal level, how do you deal with aging and with you know, I mean, I hate that word aging, but how do you deal with being a woman of a certain age? I am way older than you are. And, you know, you have to deal with things. You have to, for me, I just kind of make a positive spin on it and not go 
negative. I just think about what's right. And I do a lot more things to help me feel better. I want to know how you deal with it and what are some of the things you do. Well, I, you know, I honestly think the secret to happiness is not looking in the mirror. I agree. Uh, we got to look once in case you have food in your teeth. Yeah, exactly once. right. Of course. Yeah. But I try not to look in the mirror very much. And actually, I think what's appealing about people is energy, their levels of energy. Um, and that's what I look for in other people. And when I'm on form, I have great energy. If I haven't slept well, sometimes my energy is not great, but I try and sleep well and I try and do a modicum of exercise. And what is that? What kind of exercise? Well, I walk the dog. I do some sort of desultory Pilates. I do a bit of yoga. I used to run. I don't run anymore. Um, it sort of comes and goes. Right. You work on a treadmill. Yeah, I work on a treadmill, although the treadmill's in storage at the ah. moment because I didn't want it at home. But, um, you know, I've done a bit of soul cycle. I find exercise for exercise sake pretty dull. So I like to try and walk around. If you're in New York City, you can use the subway yeah. as a, you know, up and down the stairs. And I usually walk between 10 and 12,000 steps a day just in my right. journey because I like to potter around. In your high heels? No, I always carry a pair of flats. You do? Yeah, okay. I do. But you always walk in with beautiful high heels. Well, I try. Yeah, I've I'm got, glad I've, you've noticed No, because I've got to work on that because I've been wearing sneakers and I'm like happy and comfortable. But then when I walk in, I am five foot tall. And everyone else that walks in has these cool like high heels on. So Well, I'm you are a towering five foot. <laughs> I think of you um, as a huge oh, presence. Oh, well, you know, I still, I don't care who you are. You still feel that little kid that you were. And my shoulders go in. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm short. And if I have heels on, I'm five three. And I think I am just, you know. Enormous. Well, I like wearing sneakers, but I also like wearing high heels. Yeah. My feet like it where I wear sneakers. Yeah. And, and no problem with your feet in high heels. Yeah, a little I, bit. Yeah, I find <laughs> a little bit. That is something I would love to to do a partnership with a shoe person and have them do yoga mats in the shoes. Oh, that's a very good idea. What haven't you done that you wouldn't even imagine, but you kind of think you might want to try? Oh, so much. I mean, what a great question. I mean, so much. I would love to walk across America with a notebook and a pencil writing stories. I'd uh. like to, you know, um, what else would I like to do? I mean, that would be the first thing I would love to do, actually, just get back out there again, write that's, stories. That's so I cool. love this country. It's so interesting. And I love your country so much. Well, we should swap. Uh, well, I, I guess are we Are you have. a citizen? I'm a, I'm a, I have dual nationality, so I'm both British and American. Do you think I can get dual? I do. I think that they would welcome you with oh. open arms. Yes, and uh, do you, I think do you, you need to send some lipsticks to the Queen. To the Queen. Well, yes. maybe actually to Meghan Markle, right? She's the ultimate twofer. I, I I know Megan. I've worked with her, and I you just saw her recently. Tell everything. Yes. Tell everything. Yes. How's she getting on? Is she enjoying herself? She's she is. She is absolutely getting on. I saw her. I didn't know she was pregnant last time I saw her. I saw her at a party for the Soho House, and it was really cool. I hadn't seen her since she got married because when I worked, last time I worked together with her, she had a new boyfriend in the UK, but that's all I knew. Right. I stupidly didn't ask her who he was and what he did. And me, I ask everyone everything. I didn't ask her. So she needs to be your next podcast. Uh, she's No, I, I don't think, uh, first of all, I don't have a direct line to her, but um, she's 
a very cool girl. I really, she's a very special human. Well, I'm very happy for what she's doing with the yeah. monarchy because I think she's really bringing it into the 21st century. And it's so exciting to have some real fresh air in that family. Yeah. And they seem really happy. Good. Really happy. Well, you can never tell. I'm not yeah. saying they're not really right. happy, but I've yeah. lived through a right. generation of royal marriages right. and then royal divorces. Yeah. And Britain celebrates brilliantly at royal weddings. And then the royal divorces take longer. <laughs> If I could ask you, what is one thing people listening could do to change their life right now? One tip from Joanna Coles, one thing. I would say we are losing two habits that worry me. One is solitude and daydreaming because it's so easy to fill up the space by looking on your cell phone, right? And we're never going to live without our devices now, but it doesn't have to be zero sum. So I would say try and give yourself half an hour a day when you're not filling up the gap of spare time and allow your mind to wander. And then I do think that we are also in danger of losing the art of reading a book. And I do think the concentration required, which seems like an enormous effort given the ease with which one can scroll through information online, um, really pays off. And when you find a good book, there's nothing like it. The ability to lose yourself in a good book is so exciting. It's incredibly low cost entertainment. I'm in the middle of three books at the moment. David Sheff's Beautiful Boy, which is a wonderful book for any parent. Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, which is an amazing book about her journey. And um, Lisa Brennan Jobs's book about what it was like being Steve Jobs's daughter, which is a beautifully written, really interesting perspective on, you know, a man that's dominated our generation, really. And so those journeys, you really learn from the, the being enveloped in someone else's story, and it gives you a moment to get away from your own brain. How could you read three at once? Because you sort of pick them up, put them down. It depends on my mood. And when do you read? See, I wait till I get in bed to read, and then I'm a goner. I try and read at the weekends, mm -hmm. and I try and read on a Saturday afternoon. Actually, Saturday afternoon, 4 o'clock, I like to clamber into bed with a pile of books, a cup of tea, and disappear for two hours. I will have to try that. That's my one thing. I just want to thank you so much for coming in. It really means so much to me, and I'm so happy to see you, and I can't wait to see everything. Where could people that are listening find out what you're doing? Uh, well, you can follow me on social media. I'm just Joanna Coles at Twitter and Joanna Coles at Instagram. You're not just Joanna Coles. No, I'm sorry. I'm just... Because oh, uh, I'm just Bobby. I'm just yeah. Bobby Brown. So okay. you're not just Joanna Coles. I'm just my name at Instagram, Twitter. She's uh, Joanna... Instagram and Twitter and Snap. Joanna Coles. Um... But I haven't got anything to announce right now. No. I'm just, I'm still in the learning phase and it's been much more fun than I'd expected. Mm, I know. It's a cool new world, right? Yeah. It's very yeah. interesting. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That was my conversation with Joanna Coles. And if you want to know what she's up to now, follow her on at Joanna Coles. That's it for this episode of Long Story Short. Follow me online at Just Bobby Brown. If there's someone you want on the show, let me know there. If you really like the podcast, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really like the show, send me a few bucks. I promise to send it to charity. And that's a wrap for Long Story Short. This is Long Story Short with Bobby Brown, a Gallery Media Group production.